Welcome to another week on Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem Show, Sunday Nights. Originally a Zoom interactive platform where we discuss real life scenarios with real live people. Thank you. Hi everybody, welcome here tonight. Tonight is our 75th shear that we're doing here. And uh, like I'd like to start off with 75th year of Co- Coach Benachem Bernfeld, Let's Get Real. And I want to thank everybody for coming every week. And a special thank you to all our viewers who come every single week. And they're posted every week on their WhatsApp statuses and they're emailed out to their friends. And they come and they really, this is really a group effort and uh, keeps on growing and growing. Anybody who was here last week, we had Rabbi Kalish. It was unbelievable. I'm still getting the, the vibes from, from the share last week. It was, it was something really unbelievable. Rabbi Kalish told me, he called me after the share, he said, the feeling he had from the show was like, he's like addicted. He wants to come on every Sunday night. So I told him not every Sunday night, but uh, maybe they'll rotate him and Gary. We'll find out. So again, I want to thank everybody for posting, letting people, everybody know about it. Uh, anybody who's watching these, uh, the, the, the video of this on YouTube, please click on the like button and the subscribe button, the subscribe button for Coach Menachem so we can make a lot of money. We really appreciate it. Thank you. So I want to thank all the advertising sponsors, the Lakewood Scoop. For always promoting us here in Lakewood. A special thank you to Rabbi Anif from Chazak for promoting us on Chazak.org. And a special thank you to Chayla Kaufman and Shmuel Summer, the JCN, the Jewish Content Network, for always promoting us across all the digital Jewish platforms. Again, if anybody was here the first time, every Sunday night we have a shear, either by a rabbi, therapist, or somebody who's dynamic. Today we went really to the top because why not? Go for, go for the, right? What do they say? Go for the stars, you end up in the moon, or the other way around. So that's what we did. Sometimes you actually get it. So uh, again, thank everybody for coming. Next week, we also have a very interesting program, October 17th. We're going to have, we're discussing the world of addiction with world-famous therapist, Dr. Lou Abrams, psychologist. I don't know if anybody heard of him, but I've heard of him. He's big out there. He's going to be talking about myths, what's crossing the line, disease and illness. And again, if you know anybody who has any type of addiction problem, please um, you know, let them know about the share. It's going to be very powerful and helpful. I personally think it's relevant to everybody. In some way or another, right? Everybody has a cell phone addiction, so that's right there an addiction to get uh, to get there, right, Gary? We've, I've heard about that already, and um, so it's, please, please join us next week. It should be really powerful and very uplifting, and we hope to see everybody there next week. And again, tonight we have this listen, the honor of having Rabbi Gary Mordechai Newman with us, world famous. We'll get to you in a minute. Relax. We'll open up with opening words from our host, Coach Menachem Berenfeld. Open it up. Welcome, everyone. Let's get real with Coach Menachem. We're tonight we're doing number 75, with a lot of We're still on a high from last week, like we heard. We're with Rabbi Kalish, and um, which was very, very powerful. And we got to hear a little bit of the, the power of positivity. A lot of questions that came in last week when we sent out the email about positivity, a lot of marriage questions came in how to be positive when the spouse isn't, or kids, um, trying to figure out how to change others. A lot of questions, which probably we'll be hearing tonight a little bit, um, the questions of marriages. And we know, I think uh, we heard it from Rabbi Kalish um, the first time he came on, um, that met a lot of what's go- what goes on in the house, um, struggling teens, a lot of it comes from the atmosphere of in the house and it can make a difference. The marriage, whether it's a good marriage or, or not so good. And many have a lot of questions, you know, if they know that it, it depends on the Shalom bias, it depends on their marriage. So w- what should they do if they can't 
or they could change others or they can't. But the truth is tonight, tonight's topic is not an easy one. And there's a lot of the spectrum is huge from just um, getting to get some uh, tidbits of how you can enhance your beautiful marriage all the way to the other side of marriage in crisis, which can, be, can look many, many different ways. And where you hear many times that people say, the reason why I'm still in the marriage is for the kids. Um, it's too hard. It's gonna to be too hard for the kids. And the question is, you know, that's the, like real sacrifice. Is, is that what ultimately, ultimately our question is, what does Hashem want us to do? What's the right thing to do? Are there things that we can fix? Um, what could I do? A lot of questions, which we'll get here, get to, to, to here tonight in Mitzvah Shem. But I just want to finish before we start tonight. Is I uh, we're going to hear from Reb Zalman that he put out the, uh, uh, an amazing book on on uh, the whole topic. But one thing I found is that anybody who goes through this this parsha this this um, situation, there's a very very lonely feeling. And there's a lot of thoughts that go through in your mind and you have no, you feel that there's nowhere to go, nowhere to talk, no one to talk to. And I think tonight is what we're going to do is try to get those little pieces, um, whether it's a professional or some experience or speak to someone or a good friend to get the, those pieces together so that you can see that there is something you can do. You can uh, reach out. You don't have to sit in your, in your own darkness and think that you're the only one and this is it, boom. There are things to, to you could enhance marriages. Um, there ma many marriages were saved, which we'll hear tonight. And to know what to do, the right thing to do and to get through it. So I'm very excited to have with us tonight, Gary, which has a lot of experience and Reb Zalman with his book, Mitch and we'll get to hear a little bit of a lot, a, a little and a lot of information for those who need it, and for those who don't, to get to, to enhance their marriages. Thank you so much. Thank you, Coach Menachem, for the beautiful opening. Um, I just want to mention again for everybody, Menachem is in the middle of writing the first book of the, of the show over here with Gary. We're putting together all the tidbits from all the speakers, and we're putting it into a little book or like a little, so hopefully you'll be in it. But we're up to we're still writing number one. We're up to for sure one to 40. So anybody who wants to be involved, please reach out to Coach Menachem at coachmenachem at gmail.com and uh, to get more details. And I want to get a little background over here of what happened tonight. Um, a lot of people ask me how I got Gary Newman, what's the connection? So Zalman Goldstein is a very famous author who's written books. I, I actually read his kids' books, A Big Gesund, my kids on Friday night. They were all laughing the whole night. The jokes were so funny. And, <laughs> and they really loved it. And um, he sent me this book. It's called Talking Divorce. I'll be honest with you, I didn't read the book. I skimmed through many pages of it. And he has a lot of big name Hasfamas from it, you know, from Rebitzik Berkowitz, the famous Avram Khan is the Besden, Dr. David Lieberman was on our share, Dr. David Fox, and of course, yours truly, Gary Newman, most writes in the book. So uh, we decided we're going to really focus on marriages like in crisis, you know, real tougher issues, not just the basic, you know, the basic issue that, you know, you know, small stuff, but more like intense. And the book has a lot to do with, you know, shalom bias and things that are going on. It's very helpful. And I want to first introduce Zalman to, first of all, you know, what was the idea of writing the book and, you know, what's the significance of the title? Please give us a little background on it. And I just want to say somebody texted me today. They read the book. They found the book to be amazing. I'm just letting you know personally. So, Zaman, the floor is yours. Thank you. So, um, I don't have much to say other than um, Rabbi Chase Taub, 
um, who did the column in AMI Letters in AMI Magazine for many years. He uh, reached out to me with, together with Kamen Walchuk earlier this year, and he said, can you please research and put together a book on the topic of marriage in crisis and making decisions regarding divorce, if appropriate or not, just to dispel a lot of the false information that might be out there and to give some concrete, real examples about um, what goes on. And also for those who are already divorced, how to navigate the different emotions, recovery and things like that. And um, I told him, yes, I'm game for it. I'm, I'm not a therapist, I'm not a lawyer, um, but I am good at researching and putting books together. I've been doing it for many, many years. And um, similar to my other books where I just take um, raw information and just make it clear and simple for people to understand, gathering it from any sources. And that's really the, the essence of how the book came to be. And it really came, came together really, really quick. And I'm really touched that so many Rabbonim and top therapists and Gary and others really felt um, it resonate with what's needed out there and gave it such high praise. And I'm just humbled by it. And so I really hope it just makes a difference in people's lives. And it's not just about divorce. It's about enhancing one's marriage. It's, you know, marriages that might be a bit rocky and a bit shaky or teetering a little bit. And this kind of gathers information from therapists, from rabbis, from attorneys, from those involved in the field on each phase, how to best approach that phase in a Torah form within a positive outlook for the best outcome. And I, I hope that it's helpful to the people who actually you know, get it and read it. Zama, where's the book available? And also tell us about some promo code that you have. Uh, the book's available on amazon.com under Talking Divorce or on my website, jewishlearninggroup.com. It's also available as a Kindle and an ebook on Apple Books and audible.com, a nine and eight and a half hour audiobook if you like listening to books in your car. And yeah, Audible sent me 50 uh, promo codes to give out um, for a free audiobook. So if anybody who wants the first 50 people are able to get a free audiobook promo code for the book, um, you just go to jewishlearninggroup.com, jewishlearninggroup.com. And on the left side, you'll see a little place to put in your email address. It says um, submit for a coupon. And the first 50 emails that come in, we will send you a free promo code for the audio book so you can get it for free from Audible. Okay, and it's also in Jewish way. bookstores distributed by Feldheim worldwide. So wherever um, good Jewish books are sold, it's there. Um, some but they didn't have it, Rabbanim have it, therapists have it for their clients. If you don't see it, ask for it or email me and I'll be happy to um, get one to you. Okay, Menachem, you'll also put it in the email, right? The book with the link and his website. Okay, beautiful Zaman, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Also, a big thank you to Zaman for making this connection and being a everybody. Tonight's share was sponsored anonymously by somebody. It should be a schuss for all those needing a Yeshua in this parsha and a schuss for their entire family. And everybody, you know, who's dealing with these tough issues should, should all get the chuzik from tonight. I want to introduce Rabbi Mordechai Gary Newman. I'm going to read his bio. It's a little bit long, so uh, wish me luck. I'm a little, Gary, a little dyslexic, so I hope I try. New York Times bestselling author Mordecai Gary Newman is a psychotherapist, rabbi, and author of seven books on topics, marriage, divorce, and there are over 1 million copies sold of Gary's books in print. He's a creator of Newman's Method, Creating Your Best Marriage video program. He has appeared on dozens of top shows and programs across America, including Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem Bernfeld, besides <laughs> the small ones, The Today Show, uh, a dozen times on The Oprah Winfrey Show, as well as the New York NBC Dateline, The Katie Couric Show, Steve Harvey, Good Morning America, and The View. 
Oprah referred to Gary as one of the best psychotherapists in the world when she had him on on the most memorable guest show. Gary and his work have been featured in many famous magazines and newspapers, including the Chicago Tribune, the LA Times, Miami Herald, and the Wall Street Journal. Gary developed the Sand Castles program, a group of expertise for children of divorce and mandated many divorce courts. Over 300,000 children have completed the Sand Castles program internationally. Gary co-hosts his new podcast, video, uh, video cast, Shrinks on the Street, with his psychotherapist daughter, Esther Halpern, discussing all types of psycho psychological stuff. He lives with his wife and children in Miami Beach, Florida. Visit his website at www.newmanmethod, that's N-E-U-M-A-N method.com to learn more about him. And we're incredibly honored and fortunate to have him join with us tonight. Gary, the floor is yours. Well, thank you very, very much. First of all, I want to say, you know, thank you, Usher and Coach Menachem, um, you know, for all the good work you're doing. I mean, it's such a, a wonderful forum and so important and obviously, um, you know, necessary uh, by the uh, by how many people are talking about your show and, and so want to uh, participate and connect. And of course, Zalman, uh, we've had much conversation, but, you know, the fact that the book is out and they'll be helping people through a very difficult time. And so it's just so important to be there for people. Uh, you know, in times of, of difficulty, as in, in times of uh, struggle, and times of good as well. So anyway, it is it is such a pleasure to be here, and uh, I'm very excited always about talking uh, about marriage and how to create uh, any better marriage. And I think it's important because um, anybody needs help with marriage. You know, the facts are on the ground. The facts on the ground in the secular world. These are secular statistics that the first marriages have a 50% rate of divorce. And of the people who remain married, only about half of them say that they're happily married. So if you, you get married today in the secular world and, you know, you, you're talking maybe about a 25 to 30 percent chance of being happily married. They're terrible statistics. And yet happily married. Thank God, you know, Baruch Hashem for 34 years and children and grandchildren. And I we still I still strongly suggest it to everyone. Um, so it's really important to try to understand what's going on. And, uh, you know, before getting before starting on on some of the research that I've done and really trying to, to hone in on some of the real salient points, uh, Usher, you said it's OK for me to take a, a minute to uh, or two to tell a story, a, a joke, uh, actually, that I love. It says a lot, I think, about marriage uh, and, and how complicated it can be. It's about, uh, you know, Chaim, he's in yeshiva, he's about 27 years old, and Rosh Shiva comes over to him, he says, Chaim, you know, 27 years old, you're not married, like, what's going on here? He says, well, I've had some difficulty. He says, have you, have you gone out? Have you had dates? Yeah, I've had plenty of dates. Have you, anybody you like? Yeah, I've actually fallen in love. He said, so what's the problem? He said, well, the problem is every woman, every girl I like, and I really like, my mother hates her, hates her. Really? He says, yeah, my mother says I need a girl just like her. So what am I going to do? I don't know what to do. So Rosh Shiva gives him an eight. So he says, listen, I'll tell you what you should do. Go to your mother and say, Ma, find me a girl to date. Find me somebody just like you. I'll go out with her. What, what, what do I care? I'll give it a shot. He says, oh, okay, it's a good idea. Six months later, Rosh Shiva comes back to Chaim. And sure enough, Chaim's there. Still not married. No chuppah. Rosh Shiva says, you take my advice? He says, I took your advice. He says, what happened? He says, what happened was this? My mother found somebody that I went out with that she said was just like her. And let me tell you something. She was the spitting image, a younger spitting image of my wife. I mean, she, she talked like her. She laughed like her. She, she sounded like her. She had the same political opinions. I mean, she was like an exact replica of my, of my mother. I couldn't believe it. So he said, did you fall in love with this? I said, I said head over heels, I fell. It was amazing. So, so what was the problem? So the problem, my father hated her. 
that was the problem. So anyway, <laughs> the, the, the message is that, you know, no matter how long we are together, you know, there are people, as we know, who, who just because they're together doesn't mean they're happily married. It doesn't mean they're doing the work of marriage. So, you know, when I started out 34 years ago, um, I've been seeing patients, seeing clients, seeing marriages, people in all areas of life. And when I started writing books, for a couple of the books, I really wanted to find out what are the salient points you should focus on? Because the truth is, if we sat together tonight or we asked any bubby and we said, you know, give us the thousand things you should do to be happily married, we would make a list of a thousand things and they'd all be correct. But, you know, how are we going to focus on all of that? So for two of my books specifically, I went to the trouble of researching internationally uh, people who were successful versus failed couples. So it was 200 men for one particular book and 435 women for another book, because I was looking for those those specific areas. Could I tell you what the failed couples didn't do that the successful couples did do. And I just want to spend a couple minutes now. I know I, we really want to get questions and, and uh, talk to people and get, you know, try to give some, some specific to your specific issues. I wanted to give you some of the, some of the ideas that I think would be very helpful in a, in a general way, um, but practically you can, you can create it for your own relationship. Number one, Number one, I want to talk about men for a minute, okay? And I think, you know, men obviously know this, but all women, I'm going to tell you this. There's something that I learned very, very clear about men that I, everybody needs to know. And that is men love, they love to win. They love to win. If you see a man watching a sporting event, you would be, you, you can't believe that this guy does not have some financial stake in this team, the way he's, you know, going on and on and screaming and yelling and the depression if they lose, oh my goodness. So clearly they, they, they love to win. But what you have to know about most men is that when that sporting event is getting toward the end and his team, whatever team he's rooting for, obviously cannot win, it becomes impossible most men will turn off the game. They'll, they won't watch the game anymore because once people, this goes for women as well, but especially for men that I think it's hard for women to recognize, once they realize that they cannot win, they tend to turn off. So what we learned from men was a lot of the successful relationships the men in those relationships felt very appreciated. They felt like they were winning with their wives. They felt that no matter what they did, it wasn't always right, it wasn't always perfect, but the message, the summary of what they were getting from their spouse was a winning message. Clearly, we got that from women as well. I am feeling underappreciated, but I think to the to the oilum, I think, you know, it's it's not so surprising. I think many women are able to, to state their lack of appreciation and feeling that they need more appreciation. Men, it's harder to do that. Remember, as a man, a man can't come to his wife and say, honey, please, I need a hug, right? I mean, we have to be men. We have to be strong. We have to be capable. We don't need any, any, we don't need appreciation. We have confidence. But so we want everyone else to think. Well, women, spouses need to know that it is, it is very, very important. And I tell you, I just to die, one thing to add, you know, in, in Shimon Esrei and Chazar Sashatz, it's very interesting that when you go through Shimon Esrei and the Chazan, you know, the, 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 the Baal is saying everything, he's saying everything for you. And nowadays we don't do it this way, but he's, he can be, he can be uh, everybody can yotze with him. There's one place in Shmona Estre that everybody stands up and says for themselves, and that is modim anachnuach. When it comes to saying thank you, Hashem, 
That is not something that you can send by postcard through a messenger. We each have to do it specifically ourselves. So the first thing I would suggest to any relationship, I don't care where it is, how good or how bad, is to up the appreciation. It costs nothing to be able to say that starting tomorrow, I'm going to point out a couple of things that I appreciate about my spouse. And I'm going to verbalize that. Not only will your spouse be so happy, but also it also helps you to start looking at the positive things that are going on. So you start appreciating things. There's so many things going on in our lives. Obviously, a lot of them are not very good. A lot of what our spouse does isn't terrific. We're all imperfect. But when we start to focus on the things that are going right, the things that he or she are doing correctly, all of a sudden, we start to feel better. And when we send that appreciation to the other person, it has a remarkable effect on the person really feeling good. I tell people, if you're both not watching this, I tell people, just, just don't tell your spouse we should appreciate each other more. Just start appreciating your spouse more. Within a couple of days, right, chances are your spouse is going to look at you and say, like, well, what's got into you? Like, what do you want? Like, what's going on? You know? And then you can say to your spouse, well, I, you know, I saw this share this class, this, this uh, podcast, and learn that this was so important. And just the same way that it means so much to you is something that I want back. So that's number one. That's one of the huge things that I found that the, the failed relationships, they feel underappreciated and they begin to turn off and pull away from each other and disconnect. Let me get to another point before we go to questions. And that is women. Now, what men don't understand about women and something I found through the research as well that was so important is that women love, they love to communicate. Now, the truth is women have this right here. Women love to communicate. They love to process feelings. They love to talk about issues and talk about feelings. And that is a large part of how we get through issues and how we really connect to people. Men, they do like to communicate, but obviously about business, about sports, about Torah, about things that are, you know, that they think in their minds that they've been trained. What women don't understand about men, what men you need to understand about yourself is sometimes you don't even know how to respond. So here's some things that I think as men, we have to learn how to communicate in a certain way. And here's some things that we need to do. First of all, what we don't want to do is we don't want to simply give advice. Obviously, as men, we're trained to give advice, fix the problem. So if our spouse says something, we right away get to this is what you should do. This is what you should have done, whatever. We don't want to also, another thing that I don't, I don't get this one, but we do it, play devil's advocate. Well, maybe your friend who your wife is saying she feels hurt from, well, maybe your friend was upset about this or upset about that. Please, please. You know what we want to do? The main thing we want to do, men, is we just want to sit and understand our spouses. We don't want to sit there and think, what would I do if I were in her shoes? Because what I would do might be completely different. What we want out of life is for somebody to just get us. That's what we want as we are raised as children from our parents. That's what we want from a spouse. I think most people, surely from Yin, right? We're above average intelligence, right? We don't have to sit there and figure things out for our spouse. Let's have a little respect for our spouses. They can figure things out with our help. If they want our suggestion, they'll ask. But most importantly is we get married because we do not want to go through life alone. And alone is trying to figure out all my issues by myself and not having somebody to vent to, to talk to, to question, to hear and really get me. So one of the things I think that is so 
So important is that ability to be able to listen and listen well. I think the third thing is, is, is so important and uh, maybe we'll put it at the end, uh, Usher, or do you want to have time now or do you want me to do a save it for the end or we'll probably no, get to no, it? No, 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 let's, let's get to this and then we're gonna, our guys are gonna, we're gonna go through it. We're gonna worry. So do you, want, you want number three? Yes. Excellent. Number three, and this is, it makes so much sense. And that's why I love doing this research because it's obvious, but you don't realize how much, it, how important it is. And that is time. What we started to learn was we had people started to self-address self whether they were happily or unhappily married. And then separately in this research, we asked how much they spend on an average daily basis, how much time they spend together talking uninterrupted. So what we found was an amazing thing. We found that people who said that they were happily married, they also said that they were spending on daily average about 30 minutes or more spending time talking uninterrupted. The people who were unhappily married were spending less than 30 minutes on a daily average. To make it clear, as we went, as we plot along the continuum, about 25% of happily married people said they spent more than 60 minutes uh, every, on a daily average talking alone uninterrupted. And about 25% of unhappy people said that they spent about less than five minutes talking alone uninterrupted on a daily average. So this doesn't mean that, you know, it's an average, right? It doesn't mean that every single night you got to sit down, you know, by a clock. It just means that happily married relationships, they keep coming back to themselves and finding each other. Unhappily married, they are running in so many different directions. They are talking maybe to so many other people. They have no energy left for their own lives, their own marriage. In this marriage-centered life, there's no such thing. They're not constantly coming back to each other. So that's what becomes a, a crucial part was simply this timing. And if there's anything you do differently, and this goes for every couple because I, I, I can't put a percentage on it, but I dare say the vast majority of couples don't do this. And that is to have a weekly date night. And when I say weekly date night, I mean, you go out once a week and you go out alone, not with another couple, because we know how it is when you go with another couple. The men go with the men, when you go with the women, you go out at least a couple hours alone. And during that time, I ask everybody, I ask you to talk about anything you want except three things. Do not talk about money, work, or kids. Now, most people look at me like deer in the headlights and say, oh my gosh, look, what are we gonna talk about? That's all we ever talk about. And that's the problem. The point, the point is when you were dating and falling in love, you were not talking incessantly about the stresses of money, work, and kids. It's not what had you fall in love. It's not what's going to sustain you. So I don't know what you're going to talk about, but believe you me, at the beginning, it might even be laughable how it's hard to know what to talk about, what to bring up. You'll have to create something other than these particular stressors that we're always talking about. You do that once a week. My wife and I did it for years. Can I know how we had, you know, you know, kids and we had little kids and we were quite overwhelmed like everybody else. But it was such an important measure of success that we that that we had to make sure. Now, what we did, by the way, interesting enough, was that we made the same night every week, and we prepaid the babysitter because, as a yid, I, if I was going to have to pay the babysitter anyway, I, I was going out. <laughs> so we made sure that no matter what. 
that was the night we were going at. And, you know, whether it was something simple or something extravagant, that wasn't the point. It was just a matter of getting out. And I'll also say something about the date night. I'm not a big fan of just going out every week or going out and going to dinner. I, I know everybody's consumed with dinner because they don't, I think it lacks a little bit of imagination. It's okay if it works for you. But I tell you, when you go out finally with your spouse to dinner, now you're going to sit down at dinner. You're going to pay money for dinner. And what are you going to do? You're going to sit there for two hours and you have to talk to each other. Well, listen, listen I, I, you, got, you better have a lot of, uh, a lot of information. You, you better have a lot to say. I mean, my goodness, it's much better to go out and do something active. Go do something. Go build a history. You can listen to a sheer and, and talk afterwards about it. You can go listen to some, some live music. You can go do something else that is active, that, that you, you laugh about. If it's not such a good time, you'll laugh about it. Just you do it. But if you do it weekly, then you really start to develop a real sense that, yes, remember, it's also about us. It's not just about the children and everything else going on around us. That's what we have to recall. Very often in marriage, I have found that by the time people come to talk to me and I tell them time at night, I tell them the date night, I don't have the time, I don't have the time. I can't make the time. I say, you know, it's interesting. If Chas Vashon, your, your child, all of a sudden had some kind of problem and he is some form of major therapy that took two hours a week that suddenly you had to find the time, guess what you'd find the time? Or up in a positive way, your child, of course, of course, plays, plays violin or piano. Oh my goodness, You're, you've been convinced that they are going to be the next Isaac Stern. So you're going to go ahead and you're going to have to find two hours of violin lessons a week. You'd find the time. My point is, what we have done is we have taken that pie chart of life. We've jam-packed it with everything and none of it in there. There's no sliver called marriage, you know. So now when we want to, you know, put some marriage in that pie chart, we go, I don't got time. I got things going to be bleeding out. Well, yes, because we should not have accepted that pie chart. We should have done all that without something's going to, something might have to give. But believe you me, for the sake of your marriage, for the sake of your life, and as Zalman's book, and everybody knows, for the sake of your children, every second you're spending on creating a better marriage, you are securing your children's future. It makes their lives happier and better, and it helps them in their future and their future relationships. It's worth every single minute. All right, more to come. Okay, Gary, beautiful opening. Let's get into it. All right? I, I'm, I'm overly excited here. I get overly excited. I'm oh, no, some... just getting... Okay. Sorry about that. We're just getting warmed up, trust me. Okay, Gary, beautiful opening. Let's give you a minute break. We're going to take a poll from the audience. We're going to see, we have, we asked two questions. Everybody's going to answer and uh, we'll take it from there. Okay, and then we'll get some live questions. Again, everybody's here tonight. Please, if you can turn on your camera, get involved. We're excited to have one of the world's famous, Gary Newman, who's an amazing therapist. I've gotten a lot of text messages. People that have known him, people have worked with him. And it's the opportunity to ask, have any questions. Obviously, Gary, as I always say, Obviously, everybody's marriage is perfect. We're not asking for ourselves. We're asking for our neighbors and our friends. We know that. You don't have to. Sure, preface. sure. You don't have to preface the question. We, we, we get it. So don't even waste your time with that. And uh, the funny thing when I, it's the funny thing when I speak, when I speak to large groups, always, always, invariably, in the first or second row, there's always a very old couple. And I always go over to them afterwards out of respect. And I say, what's your story? And they're like, they, they always tell me they've been married 40 years, 50 years, 60 years. Is amazing. I say, oh, you should be on, on stage here. What, 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 you should be writing the books. And no, no, no. 
The reason we have a good marriage is because we always come to these things because we can always learn enough. We can always learn more. We can always learn more and more. So it, so it, there's, there's absolutely no embarrassment. There's pride in being able to stay in a relationship that we need to learn more. Just like parents, I think. I think there are things that we should all, you know, feel very comfortable saying that uh, we can all learn more. Okay. Let's take a poll from the audience and let's do everything. Two questions. Ready? Here we go. Do you personally think that most marriages that ended in divorce could have worked it out? Three options to answer, okay? Everybody, it's anonymous, so please, let's, let's, let's hear from the peanut gallery. You know, the thing you always wanted to say? Here we go. Option number one, everybody could really work it out. Divorce is, the people that get divorced are not working hard enough to save their marriages. That's option number one. Option number two, people are complex and divorce is just a part of life. People get divorced. Or option three, option three, if you have two mentally healthy people, they could always work it out. So from those three choices, I know it's not every choice, there's a million other choices. Those three choices, choose one that you think uh, would answer the question to the best of your knowledge. The second question, what do you feel is the best way to rekindle the spark in your marriage? Four options, Gary, you ready? Spend okay, I'm, I'm, I'm scrolling down. Yes, yeah, spend the date night together every week without distractions. Oh, Option well, we, come on. Come on, yeah, I know. Come Option on, B, I didn't know Option, that was coming. Option B, give more and more and don't expect anything in return, just do. Option three, shower your spouse with gifts and presents. Option four, which is the best option, everybody should do this, is always saves every marriage. Just keep on saying, I love you and everything will be good. Those are the four <laughs> options. Choose which one you think is the best way from these four to, to, to rekindle the spark in your marriage. Five seconds, let's go. Gary, and you could see what people are voting. People can't see. I'm going to share with them in a minute. And then I want yeah, you yeah, to, no, it's very interesting. And then I want you to that. comment. I want you to comment. Gary didn't see these questions. So these are all fresh to no. everybody. Yeah, obviously, if Gary would have saw the question, he would have been like, oh, come on. I would have made it better. Okay. Tell, five, me, tell me when you're ready. Four, three, <laughs> two, one. Let's share with everybody. Okay, let me just share the results and then we'll get into it. Do you think that most marriages that ended in divorce could have worked it out? 12% of the people said everybody could really work it out. Divorce is coming from not working hard enough. So if anybody gets divorced, you see them? Huh, they don't want to work hard enough. 12% of the people said that. 42% of the people feel divorce is just part of life. It's inevitable, just like death, right? It happens. And the third option is if you have two mentally <coughs> healthy people, they could always work it out. Gary, what do you want? Give me your, give me your comments on this. Well, I, I listen, I think one is over the top. So I think, I, I mean, it was written in such a way, right? Everyone could really work it out. That's hard to say, right? A divorce is coming from not working hard enough. So I, I think that is the, the lowest on the totem pole here because I think people do work very hard. I, I'm not sure they put their work into the, the right aspect or as a skilled you know, set of terms. But nonetheless, you know, I think people are very often feel that they're working hard. Um, but, I, but, I think, um, but I think it's interesting to split between the next two. I do believe that uh, if you have two mentally healthy people, um, they can, again, always, they can almost always work it out. But I will say to you, Usher, that um, a lot of times people do need effective helpers. And there's not so many effective helpers as we think out there. Uh, I, I don't want, you know, you, we can talk about it, but you know, it's, it's not easy to find uh, necessarily a rub or a marriage counselor who is going to be a terrific marriage counselor. Um, you know, it takes a, a certain skill. And I see that I really, I, there are marriage counselors who it's worse to go to. Uh, and then, you know, couples come out worse than they did before. So, um, so I think that it's definitely true that if you have two mentally healthy people, 
They can always work it out, but they would have to find the right help and the right support. And I think without that, it's easy. It, it's unfortunately that then people can be complex and divorce can be a part of life. Um, I, I think the second one, it's, it's so sad to have to go with people are complex and divorce is a part of life because it's a bit fatalistic and it doesn't put uh, a certain amount of empowerment into our hands. And I really so believe that, that we can change things in the context of relationships. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, I think as people uh, sometimes do get lost uh, for a while. Um, but again, again, I think, you know, I think it's so important to say is that, you know, you as a neighbor, as a parent, as a rub, you have so much to do to help with Shalom bias. And, and maybe that's a nice thing to say, even if not for ourselves, for anybody who's listening here. There are so many people who ruin Shalom bias, whether it's parents, whether it's in-laws, whether it's a neighbor, whether it's a friend who's convincing people in the wrong way or making them feel bad about their spouse, whatever. There's so many things. I think we should be so careful not to upset people's Shalom bias and, and really value that like a joy and make sure that we are on the side of, of really helping people enjoy their spouse because everybody is a little screwy. That's what we all are. Everybody's a little neurotic. That's the way it is. Every marriage is basically accepting. Every marriage is accentuating the positives, right? And, and diminishing the negatives. That's what my wife has to do with me. That's what I have to do with her. That's what we have to do. So, so it's unfair for me to look at somebody else's spouse and say, well, maybe that's not one that I would be able to deal with, but that doesn't mean that for that person, it's not something that they can learn to deal with as well. Gary, want to comment you want to go on the second What? Want to carry on the, comment on the second question? Yes, on the second question. Um, so obviously, I mean, I, maybe we set it up because I didn't know we were going to do the date night so quickly. But yes, the date night is definitely a good way to rekindle the spark. Um, and I think that uh, the number two probably is give more and more um, when you expect less in return. Um, that's interesting, very interesting space because a relationship is very much about relating to each other. So we really want to make sure in that number two that there's uh, some kind of uh, equal giving and sharing. It doesn't have to be exactly equal, but we surely can run into people where one spouse is a really good giver and the other spouse is a really good taker and, um, and the giver can really train the taker to be somebody who just likes to take and take and take and the giver really runs out. Um, so I think that that's, uh, that's something you have to be careful about, but giving, it's all about giving, right? It, it really is about giving. Hopefully the sacrifices we make in marriage, we don't feel are so much of a sacrifice because we feel we're receiving as well. Um, sharing your spouse with gifts and presents. Uh, well, it will rekindle a spark. Uh, you know, it, it could be nice, you know, giving in that way. Keep on saying every day, I love you. Like you said, it is important to do. The question is whether I love you becomes and I love you as, you know, a matter. It, it's, I, I mean, maybe Lahavdil, but I think it's very similar to davening every day. You know, you could say the same thing every day, the same words. And, uh, you know, it doesn't have so much meaning. So I think saying I love you every day is a good idea. Um, but I think we have to find new ways to say it. And I think we have emoticons and we have a flower and we have a, a magazine that or, 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 you know, say for that the spouse was, was wanting to get. We have little gifts, little waves of saying, I'm thinking about you. I care about you. That's what's really so special. Yeah, so we're getting a lot of questions. Again, anybody wants to ask a live question, obviously live goes first. You know, it goes like that. So if anybody has a question, please text Asha Parnas uh, on the chat and we will put you on. Gary, you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. Okay, you're on live. Go first. 
So, um, first of all, I really enjoyed your introductory presentation. And this is from someone who is not yet married. So I want to ask, okay. what is the best thing to do in preparation before marriage, especially if one's parents are not healthy parents and we're not role models? Aside from getting proper mentors and help and professional assistance, what would be a proper, I guess, attitude, outlook from your experience, from your expertise? Sure. Um, so I think one of the deeper things I could tell you, and, and this will probably be a thread through a lot of uh, what we talk about tonight, is you could really consider what you learned positive and or negative from your upbringing. Because I really do think that so much of our marital skill set or lack thereof comes from what we learned from ourselves as children. So um, whether, whether whatever the case might be, when you're before you're married, it's surely helpful to say, you know, what is it that I really want and desire and need? What's the personality of the person that I want? Sometimes we think I want someone different than, you know, the way my parents were, but we end up with the same kind of person. They may look different and they might have, you know, more hair, less hair, this, you know, on their head or whatever. I don't know, you know what I'm saying? But we end up with the same kind of person. So to really think, you know, what was perhaps missing, uh, you know, what happened in my parents' relationship uh, so that I can, you know, try to regroup and I can do something, you know, different in that way. Um, the next thing I would say is just to really consider that the person you want to fall in love with more than anything you want to be is a giving and a listening person. When a person is giving, and a good listener, very hard to go wrong. Very hard to go wrong. So, so many people are going out with people and they're looking for all kinds of things. Of course, attraction, all, all that is very important, but, but there's a sense of, of, of a person. If your spouse is somebody who really loves to give and really wants to listen to you, those are two simple and basic, I mean, not easy, but simple to focus on components that you wanna really you know, consider uh, when you go out and, start, and, and uh, in your dating. Can I, can I Thank you. you mentioned giving and listening. I'm saying when people go out, go out first uh, a date, and most people are giving and listening. If you only find out later on, you're like, "Oops, I didn't know this." Um, what could you tell? What could you tell the audience? How could we know in the beginning to see if they're giving and listening? And maybe we should work on ourselves to be um, the giving and listening people. Well, for sure, for sure, you want to work on yourself because I would tell the person you're going out with the same thing. <laughs> so if you want a second date, but anyway, the point is, yes, listen to the from world. Um, I mean, we get we get married, you know, pretty quickly. Um, but nonetheless, we can look for we can look for things. I think a lot of times people who are set on uh, the, they're setting the stage on repeating some of their family or their upbringing. Uh, they sometimes look away from things. They look away from people who are not so giving or uh, or are unkind or you know are not such good listeners. And and they they let it go. You know they they have they make excuses for it. So I think it's it, you know the real answer to your question is is time. Uh, there's a difference between date one and date two and date seven. Uh, I'm, again, if we're talking about people who are, you know, just, you know, uh, in a Hasidic world meeting, you know, one time, there's really not going to be a way for anybody to assess uh, between the couple, right? That's, that's, I guess, the parents' job, right? That's what we put in there, in their uh, hopefully, you know, capable hands. Um, but, but the point is, is to, is to have fun and be excited 
but to not lose sight of, you know, going back and saying, was that person giving in and a good listener? And, and for yourself, for sure, those are the things that you should start working on. Because if you don't have that, um, you are diminishing your odds of, you know, having a very positive relationship in your marriage. Okay, let's go to the next live question. You're on. Sorry, Gary. Keep no, no, I'm, that's what I'm saying. I'm trying to keep it short for that reason. No, no, we're good. Excellent. I'm well, good. All right. Um, so uh, I appreciated a lot of the points you were making. Um, I'm a young, young married, been married for about a year and a half, Baruch Hashem, with a kid. I'm watching a lot of my friends struggle in dating. I've seen other couples failed marriages, and I found that with myself, um, a big, a big help has been um, working on Ben Adam Laatzmo between me and myself first. I think that was a huge aspect of having a successful marriage so far. And you know, like Adam Azer Konegdo, he, you're marrying somebody that's directly going to help you in each other, really, in the avoda. Like this is like push-up shot, the Maral talks about it in the mission of the world's created in three pillars, right? Those parallel, um, I mean, the Maral says it, you know, Torah parallels the Gon talks about it. I mean, he basically says the whole world is about relationships. If you don't start with <laughs> you could go on as many dates with your wife your whole life. If you're just you know, if you're just going out to keep it alive, I mean, okay, that's one thing, but to thrive in a marriage is a completely different story. So I'm just curious where in this is the work on the personal care, your personal character first. So it, when, when I talk about personal character, again, I find when, when people come to me with, with, with hurt marriages, right? I often find that somebody, if not both of them, are overreacting, having intense reactions that are not commensurate with uh, the actions that they're receiving. Um, and, and I start to take them back to their past. I think when it comes to marriage, a lot of that really does have to do with the very hard work. It, the hard work is saying, as a child, how was I listened to? How was I loved or not loved? Did I see my parents fight? Did I see them be loving toward each other? Did I see them be connected or disconnected? These are real Bain Adam La'asmo questions because I was formed in, through them in Hashem's image and they were partners. And you know why there's three partners is because when I'm a little kid, my mother and father are, are like the Barayalam, right? I, what, what do I know the difference? So it's it's not like po poetry when 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 the chacham talk about that you know the three are are partners. No, no, to that little kid, th those parents are everything, and we don't realize how much they set a concrete sense of how we view the world, how we view marriage. So if there's any that I think is valuable, it really is to think back. You know what went right, what went wrong, not to judge them. Their marriage was their business, but as far as how it affected me and do I want to live that life or do I want to live in my own life, you know, how I want that to be as well. Right. It sounds like that's, you know, that's still like a, like a, not a, it's a reactive approach to Ben Adam Asma though, because you yourself, yeah, you have your experiences that you grew up with your parents, but then you, you own your own unique neshama um, has, has a build, it has a makeup, it has I think it's, this would be very helpful for even for people who are dating or relearning their spouses. You know, like, you, you, I mean, I don't know about the Dalai de Sodos, like there, there really is the, the soul, the, the, the Nevesh Bahamas. I'm sorry, I'm throwing out a lot of these top, like high level things. 
your makeup of a specific Gary, Gary, this type, is a, so. Gary, this is a Kabbalah shirt. I'm just letting you know. I forgot to tell yeah, very good. It's not Kabbalah. That's the thing. It's it's the even the building like the Gon talks about. It's not like both sides can agree on this that it's not even Kabbalah. It's sourced in Kabbalah, but you know we we are a makeup of specific and you you are an individual. Everybody's an individual, so focusing on that as well, I found to be very helpful. And a lot of my friends struggling and dating, the second they start to dig into Bain Ladam Laatma, who are they? They start to figure out, oh, th these are the girls I should be dating, or this is why I don't get along with this type of person. So I don't know, just, I found that to be- Yeah, well, listen, I mean, as far as sitting and thinking about who am I and you know what, what are my wants and desires and how do I want to affect the world and why Hashem put me here? I mean, those are all good things to talk about and to consider for yourself. Um, you know, so much of Beinan only Atzmo, let me, let's also understand, is that, you know, uh, you know your neshama is also in part is in somebody else. So, you know, for those people who, who are before marriage, I mean, truth is, it's, at, it's through our process of getting married that we really have to learn about ourselves, right? For example, we can't be so banal datsmo that we don't have room for tremendous change through the concept of actually having, you know, a spouse and having children. And, and, and by the way, you know, it's interesting because when you get married, the fact is Hashem created a wife, uh, you know, created the, 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 the different genders. And they're very different. And the reason they're very different is because Hashem really is pushing us to make tremendous change, right? I mean, you will not find somebody, you will not be so close to somebody in your life, or should you, or should you be, besides your spouse, who will be so different. And the whole idea of the differences is for you to grow by understanding those differences. You know, I, I, I find it fascinating, you know, going through... I mean, going through Dafyomi, hopefully we'll be, we'll be uh, finishing. I mean, I started, started late on the, last, uh, on the last round, but hopefully soon. Um, but not that there's any ever finishing. But nonetheless, right, when you go through a Gemara, everybody knows that there's, you know, how often does Gemara say that halach is like this, halach is like that. I mean, you'd think you want a law book. Tell me what, tell me what the story is. Tell me what the final thing is. Ah, don't, don't, don't give me all the, all the thoughts. Yet the Gemara, as we know, is full of all the thoughts. And if it's this, we want to know why Hill doesn't really hold Shabbat. We don't want to know how Shabbat. Why is it? Why doesn't the Gemara just give it to me? Because the Chachamim knew that who you're holding like, you're going to be okay. This one or that one. Let's, you know, this time or that time, you're going to be okay. But what Hashem says is that the way you grow is by going out of yourself and understanding a perspective that you don't get. It didn't pop into your head. You have to work so hard at understanding this other perspective. And that's really what people who are in marriages are supposed to be growing internally because they can so see that, oh my gosh, he, she or he is saying something or taking an opinion, which is so foreign to me. And yet I'm trying to understand it and I get to understand it and it, it opens up my view of the world. And that's why if you want to talk about, you know, Adam and Chava, I thought it's very interesting. We just had, we just recently read the Parsha, of course, why, why HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't create them together. HaKadosh Baruch Hu knows it's going to happen. And why is that when Hashem says when, when, that, you know, it's not good, you know, it's not good, you know, he needs a mate. Why is it that it's a, a Pusik and a half or a couple Pusikim later where, where Adam actually is naming all the animals and he says, oh, I don't have a mate. So I'm very convinced that Hashem realized the human condition that he couldn't, yeah, Hashem knew, of, of course, that Adam needed Chava, but he had to wait until Adam knew that he didn't have Chava. He had to wait till he missed something. Marriage is not about, you know, that'd be a nice idea. I'd like it. Why not? 
Marriage is about, I am, I am missing. I need a spouse. I need somebody to be able to develop my own sense of being Adam Atmo as well. So, um, so I appreciate, of course, that in order to find the right person, you have to know more and more about yourself. But before you're going into, you know, neshamas and what, you know, for a person to sit down practically and try to figure out who they are, I think understanding where they came from is important. And like you said, of course, understanding the basics of, you know, what, what is my dream in life? What am I trying to do? What do I feel my purpose is so that I have uh, an Azer Konegda? Hey, Gary, let's go to the next question. Amazing. You're on. Um, hi, Gary. What advice Hi. would you give to people who are married to either narcissistic or borderline personality or Asperger's? And better yet, is there a way to have, you know, a happy marriage if you really love them? So, um, un unfortunately, you gave me three very distinctive, different situations. So, I, I mean, we they get lumped together. I, I, I just want to I want to cut you for a second. We got oh. questions for, for every single one of those by itself. So I don't know if you want to break it up, but we got a okay. question okay. every single one that came in. Okay. You know, again, there's a difference between people who um, say that they're my spouse's borderline, you know, uh, personality disorder or narcissist uh, or Asperger's or Asperger's-ish. You know, there's everybody says that kind of thing. And sometimes I, I find out that- Gary, you know, Gary, they, you, know, you know the joke they say, right? Oh, what? Joke is the, the couple comes to Besden, they want to get divorced. So the Besden, before they start speaking, they turn to the man, they say, we know she's, she has personality disorder, we know she's dysfunctional, we know she's depressed, we know she's borderline. They turn, they turn to her and say, we know he's a narcissist, we know he's abusive, we know he's controlling. Now that we clear that all away, why are you really here? Okay. <laughs> so, so my point is, if there's a difference, if somebody is, you know, has been diagnosed has been to, you know, very commonly, somebody has borderline personality disorder has probably been, if they've been diagnosed, they've been diagnosed by more than one person um, as, uh, and uh, narcissist tends not to be somebody, you know, it tends not to be a, a diagnosis that, that psychiatrists, you know, uh, you know throw around. Um, Asperger's is different, obviously we've lost. Okay, anyway, the point is this, when you, when you, the, your question is, you know, can you and how? Um, I mean, borderline personality disorder, I, I think somebody's got to be involved. I think it, it, to do that, if it's a true borderline personality disorder, a person is going to have extreme uh, moods, a, a just a extreme histrionic, uh, histrionics. I mean, it's, it's very hard to strap yourself in and go through how personally that person feels attacked and how they attack back. It, it's a very unfortunate you know, scenario. And I think that that person can that person can, with good help, you know, get better. This is not getting better like they're not that. It just means that the way that we live with people is that we accept a lot of them and then we, we have to shave off the extremities. You know, if, if, this, if their behaviors are so extreme, we have to find a way to blunt those more extreme situations, right? So, you know, uh, so that's what you have to do with all these, you know, situations. You know, narcissists, again, if, if a person is a true narcissist, but a lot of times just mean people are selfish and they're just selfish. 
And under those circumstances, that's things that we do. People can shift that, can understand, you know, how they need to be more giving. And you do talk to them straight about those things. And you do include other people. You know, anything that's something that you feel that you've tried and tried again, and you've tried on your own, you include other people, whether it's family members, if you can, uh, whether it's, you know, obviously Rabbanim or, or, or therapists. Those are times when you really do need that kind of help. It's the same, it's gonna be the same with Asperger's. The thing you need to know, really, it also is you need to to uh, research. So I, I imagine you have, but you really, really need to research a lot about the condition yourself, because most importantly is instead of taking all of these things as a personal rejection, that's one of the big issues. The big issues with these kinds of personalities is that I feel rejected again. I feel hurt. How could he or she treat me like that? How could they forget about me like that? How could they, you know, and I feel hurt again and again and again. Once I realize the condition, I say, oh my gosh, like this is the way some people's brains really work. This is a condition. This is an illness, okay? It's not a physical illness like you see it, you know, like a broken arm or a missing limb, but there's a physical illness in the brain. If you're thinking of it in those terms, then you still have a problem, but the problem is practical. The problem is, it's not the problem that I'm rejected. He or she is, is treating me in a rejecting and lonely way. It's that I have practical issues with the way this person treats me, with the way I feel, and how am I going to find my way around that? If I'm feeling lonely, how am I going to find other support in my life? Uh, you know, maybe I thought all of my love or the balance of my love was going to be put in this situation. Maybe that's not what's going to happen in this kind of situation. Maybe the balance of my love are going to be my children or people outside of my spouse if that person can't give me what I need. And that might be okay, but you need to be able emotionally to handle it. And that comes from really understanding the conditions um, that your spouse has. Gary, let's get to this question before we have a bunch of live people pending. That was a great answer, by the way. And um, let's get to this question over here. We fight all the time and the disagreements sometimes go for hours. We then sort it out, make up, and things seem to be good again. But a short time later, the same under underlying issue reoccurs and we're back to the original heat of the fight. How can we resolve issues properly, more long-term, especially when everyone's already crushed for crunch for time and our <clears throat> nerves are already on edge? So it's a very important question because I will tell you this, one of the key differences between successful and failed couples is successful couples resolve matters. Failed couples do exactly what this person's saying. They fight and fight and fight all night and then they finally make up. You know why they make up? Because they just, they, they ran out of gas. They ran out of gas, they didn't resolve anything and what are you gonna do? They got back together. And then two days, four days, 10 days later, same kind of thing happens. So the important thing is to always tell yourself, I want to get to resolution. And resolution means we sit down, we say, okay, what was, what, you're upset, okay? I hear you, I, this is what you're upset about. What can we do different the next time in order to see how we solve this problem? We can't always solve it. We can't always take it away, but we can surely resolve it, okay? So if I went to, you know, your parents, you know, and they upset me and they hurt me, whatever. So what are we going to do about it? We're not just going to fight about it. What we need to do is we have to figure out 
how are we going to solve, resolve this problem? And, and it might not be that we can make it absolutely terrific the next time. It might be that, okay, I'll speak up, I'll stay next to you, I won't leave you alone with this, with this relative next time by accident, whatever. You know, what are we going to do practically to try to make it different? And that's, that's really what we need to do. And it's very important to understand that if I really understand you, if I really listen to you, that does not mean that I have to agree with the action that you suggest. A lot of people don't listen for that reason. You know, if, if my wife were to say to me, you know, uh, your, your wife says to you, uh, uh, your mother uh, upset me and she always criticized me. And I say, yeah, I understand. My mother can be critical, whatever. And I say, okay, well, that's it. I don't want them over here anymore. You know, I, I don't have to agree with that. I can understand your feelings, but it does not mean that I have to agree with the action that you suggest. I can say, whoa, 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 one second, one second. I can understand. We have to find other methods, other ways that we can work together in order to be able to, to deal with the situation. Resolution is about feeling like a team. We must feel like a team. We must, too many people, they, they, each other are the problem. We have to make the problem, right? We're a team against that particular problem. And we have to say, how are we going to resolve it? How are we going to resolve it? And that's what we get to. The other interesting end of that question was, we don't have enough time. We're so pressed for time, crunch time. Who's got time for all this talking and resolution and you know marriage and all this stuff? And the joke of it, of course, is that this person has the time to stay all night arguing and fighting you know, to get through their problems. Now, the fact is, it's going gonna, it's gonna to suck your energy regardless. If it's a bad marriage, believe you me, it's going to take so much energy. You're going to use much less energy actually spending time trying to talk to each other and getting through problems. And remember, forget about solving. We can't solve them all, but we can make them feel better and we can do it in a way of doing it together. Attack the problem, not each other. Yeah, that was beautiful. Okay, you're on live. Next. Hi, Gary. Uh, the question is yeah. um, regarding the kids. Um, you said we, have, we should invest in our marriage, which will ultimately help the kids. So just to, if I could push you on that point, how careful should we be, for instance, let's say if we disagree or we argue in front of the kids, um, you know, should we not ever disagree? Should we never argue? Uh, can you just expound on that, the things in front of the kids? Sure, absolutely. I think um, we should feel very comfortable to disagree in front of children. I think what we should try to not do in front of children is, is the tension. It's the tension and the friction. For children to see that people disagree, that people can get you know, mildly you know, upset at each other, you know, that's okay. Um, I mean, they obviously are privy to the fact that you know, we make up, it's okay, whatever the case might be. We can't, we're not robots, you know? So you know, it has to be two things. Number one is that the balance has to be that they see a lot more lovingness than they see, you know, friction. And two is no matter what they shouldn't, I mean, we don't want our children to see or, he, you know, be, be witness to screaming and yelling. Uh, obviously, God forbid anything that would be, you know, considered abusive. Um, but, you know, people do, people do uh, yell. Um, I mean, it happens. Uh, my parents yelled. It was in Yiddish, of course, um, <laughs> so that we wouldn't know what they were saying until we picked up on it a little bit, and then it was all it was a, it was all good. But anyway, you know, I mean, people make it through. 
But whatever we can do to reduce that, we really want to teach our children that it is okay. We want to show them how to have differences with people and, and how to have differences. And sometimes it's much better, much better to just walk out of the room, walk away, not slamming the door as you leave, but just walk away, come back when you're, when you're a little more settled or agree that we're going to talk about those things. We're going to have that, you know, if we have to something that we're going to get, have some conflict about uh, that might get heated, that we're going to do that, you know, without the kids present. Is that, does that answer your question? Is that, does that help or does that sound too lofty for you? <laughs> That's good. No, it's good. You know, I guess just to push a little more that when it gets hectic in the house and the kids and the, and the stressful and, and bedtimes <laughs> with the arm, you know, the marriage can be um, stressful at that time. Yeah, I, I think that that, you know, marriage, you know, suffers from having so much pressure on it. You know, we really expect so much from each other. <clears throat> and it's one of the things I wish everybody would understand about each other is that we work so hard, you know, uh, we work so hard in life and, and we're always looking like, you know, have you done enough? Well, why have you done more? Why have you, I mean, my goodness, you know, I mean, we, we, if we, you know, if we're blessed with children, you know, we work so hard to, 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 to deal, deal with them and manage them and keep them safe and teach them and, and learn with them and everything we're doing, get them into bed and school. It's so much pressure. I mean, I have to say, I mean, school and education is, is, is a, a, a extreme challenge on a marriage. You know, by the time couples, whoever's dealing with it, both or one of the parents are finished with, with homework and making sure their kids have everything together. I mean, you know, at, at that time, now I'm going to relate to my spouse. I'm, I'm blitzed. I, I'm so tired and mentally exhausted. You know, most people just want to go and, and get on their phones and, you know, and, and do something mindless. Um, so it, it really, that's why we have the date night. That's why we try to say no matter what, you know, come at a certain point of the night, you know, after the kids are asleep, if you have older kids, they're never going to go to sleep, you know, but at a certain point, we close the door and, and we just hang out with each other. And whether it's, it's to just, you know, sit and, and, and talk, whether it's to have a, a glass of wine, whether it's to learn something together, whatever it is, it, it, there's got to be some sense that we care enough to get back to each other. Thankfully, couples love each other enough that, you know, we don't, we don't have to spend as much time in a marriage-centered life uh, as we do, you know, at work or as we do helping taking care of our children, we, we're going to spend less time on our marriage, but we have to make sure there's a consistent pattern. It can't be once in a blue moon. It can't be, you know, oh, we're going on, we're going to have a couple days, you know, in a few weeks. It's got to be something consistent. And even if it is small pockets, like we talked about 30 minutes or more on a daily average, even if it's every night or, or most nights where we can sit and we can relax with each other and just catch up on the day without the interrupt, interruption, the din of, of children in us and, and all over us, um, literally closing you know, the bedroom door and making sure that you know, we're, we're shutting out the world. Um, that is something that is, is crucial. And, um, and then we have to just appreciate all the hard work that we're doing. Uh, and, and people are uplifted by appreciation. It's remarkable. I, we feel so good when our spouse, you know, wants to be there for us and wants to appreciate us. The whole world is, is, is waiting to criticize and tell us what we need to do better and what we shouldn't do. And meanwhile, to have your spouse, the person you care about and who cares about you so much to be able to say, 
wow, you're just doing such a great job. You're working so hard at this. I think it means a lot to, uh, to each of us, even if uh, we, have, we don't have the time that we'd like to actually spend as much together. Eric, can I, can I quote something that I heard about this? Please. So he asked a question about like about fighting in front of kids. Um, I heard from, Rever you, know, you ever heard of Reverend Shimmer Russell? Big therapist, Reverend Russell? Perhaps. Okay, he's a famous big therapist. He comes on a program a few times. I heard him by a speech that he said, one of the best things you can give your kids is actually arguing in front of your children. He said mm -hmm. that when, 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 when the man wants to eat milchiks and the woman wants to eat fleshiks and there's an argument, right? Or, you know, using that scenario, if you, because people, people do disagree. It's part of life. Just to go into the bedroom right, and then come down and make right. it like it doesn't exist. You're, you're, you're teaching them something that's not realistic. They get married, they get into one argument. They're already, what's going on here? I'm out. So, but if you could show them how to mental to, 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 to deal with the issue and respect other person's opinion and be machnia and giving in, you're actually teaching them. It's actually, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a source of chinuch for the children. So I just thought that was a very valuable yeah, thing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's, that's why, that's why, you know, I had, um, I said, I think disagreeing is important. I think it's, the question is the level of conflict, you know, hopefully the milchiks and fleshiks should not get to a level of conflict, but you never know. You never know. But yeah. my point is, <laughs> my point is, is listen, I like, I like, you know, <laughs> I, I, listen, me, <laughs> the nine days is truly, truly a challenging time, but nonetheless, um, I think we have to. I think we have to face the facts. The fact is, people yell at each other in front of their children. Um, they 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 shout. Lush, lush right, right, right. Can I jump to the next question? Can I jump to the next question? Please? Yeah, sure. Okay. The next sure. question is: My wife is incredibly moody and lashes out at the kids with the nasty comments and stinging criticisms. What is the correct thing for me to do when I'm in the room while this all unfolds? You know, the woman's like five o'clock and the kids are screaming and you know that's the time you have to have men of you know chakras again that time. <laughs> yes, my dear friend, may rest in peace, David Layerfield down there in North Miami, he used to always joke with me, he they were so smart. You got to get the kids ready for school, shachris. Dinner time, mincha. Put them into bed, marav. It's, it's a fantastic system. Anyway, um, uh, well, first of all, I think um, if, if, if part of the question is whether we should, you know, put our attention to it, for sure, we should put our attention to it. I think, I think um, hopefully most would agree that instead of, uh, you know, even running off to Don with the minion, again, you can talk, talk to your own, Rob, I'm not going to be sit here as a pose, but, you know, to really manage your children and help that person. If that person is criticizing or yelling at the children, um, some of that might very well be uh, just, you know, feeling out of control, feeling overwhelmed. We, we feel overwhelmed pretty quickly. Again, let me, let me say, and, and I want to say this for every single question being asked, is that uh, no, no smart, no person with a brain there had answers any question because of, from one side of the story, you know? So obviously all of these are, are, these are not specific. I'm not telling anybody specifically what to do, what not to do. Um, because if we talk to the other person, we'd have to really see what this person's situation is. If she were to say that, you know, I agree, I shouldn't do it, but I feel overwhelmed. It's not so bad. My mother did it. I mean, there's a lot that gets tied up in that. So the real truth is that as a spouse, as a husband, you want to be 
a good listener again to her. You want to say like, listen, I'm concerned for you. You know, I'm sure you don't want to, you know to scream at the children. I imagine you know you you love your kids. You know, you're a good. You try to be a good mom, or you are a good mom. You don't want to criticize them. So, what can I do to help you? What can we do together? I think that's the approach. I think to tell you know to shoot shoot arrows at somebody and say you know oh look what she's doing she's she's screaming at them she's got that's wrong and you're right it's strong okay okay you're right you can be right or you can be happy in a marriage right so the point here is always to to try to empower yourself by coming together with your spouse and saying how can i be of help and how can we do this together it's always the best way to critique and the best way to make changes yeah beautiful okay thank you let's go to the next live question you're on Okay, I just was curious what your thoughts are on um, about people saying opposites attract. Well, um, I mean, you know, it could happen. It happens. I mean, I'm not, you know, it's, it's understandable. Uh, a lot of times what it means, it could be for good or it could be for bad. I mean, a lot of times what it means is that people who are very uh, proficient at something personality wise uh, are not necessarily looking for that same same type of personality. So that let, let's give a, a uh, yeah, I mean, this might be a, let's say, say a giver and a taker, right? There's some people who are better at receiving. Doesn't mean they're a taker in a bad way. They're, just, they're comfortable receiving. And there's some people who are very good at giving and they're not very good at receiving. They're kind of opposites. They would attract each other, right? Because the giver needs somebody who, who takes a lot and they not feel very good about being given to. So they will find somebody who is more comfortable and is comfortable being given to. That, that Again, that sounds like a bad connection, but it doesn't necessarily be. It only depends if somebody's taking advantage of somebody. You know, some people who are givers are very, are very happy, you know, very happy making that sacrifice. Obviously, some of them it runs its course and later on they feel that that they're not being given back to at some point in their life. Um, the same thing with people who, uh, you know, have a certain uh, personality or someone who's very organized. Sometimes, you know, they're, they're looking for somebody who adds a little extemporaneous, uh, a little fun in their life. They're, they're very well ordered. The person who's very extemporaneous and who's very uh, love of life, perhaps, you know, they, they don't have that sense of structure and that sense of order. So they might be attracted to somebody who, who offers that to them. They don't need somebody, they, they don't necessarily think I need somebody else who's the life of the party in a way, you know, I, you know we don't need two of that. I, I'm, I am more attracted to somebody who is a helpmate to me in that particular way. So I think that that's what they mean when opposites attract. I think um, it's just, I, I think we get thrown by the word opposites because that's such a dramatic word. But I think it means that in a marriage, very often we are attracted to people who will kind of fill some of the holes that we're missing and feel like, uh, you know, feel attracted to that concept. Do you think that people should go for the opposite of what they are or they should go, you know, towards someone who is like them? So I, I, again, I don't think that we have to think as far as the person, as far as the specifics of that. I think one doesn't have to, you know, pick one over the other. I'm back to my main idea is that marriage is helped very much by people who are genuinely want to give and want to love and want to listen. So I think if we have that, I think it matters less so 
as far as whether the people are, you know, more aligned or less aligned, you know, um, in our political, you know, uh, framework now, right? You can imagine, let's say people are opposites in their political forum. Um, you know, we see that that can create tremendous conflict in some people. But I think, again, that's my point. Anytime you have differences, if you truly have people who care about each other and who are loving and are giving and are good and, and really listen, really want to understand each other, I don't think we have to worry too much. And I think we can let you know, our, our sense of love, you know, take over and see who we're attracted to naturally. Here's, a, here's another question that came in. My husband and I have been going to marriage counseling for a few months to help with some issues. And it seems that therapy is going nowhere. And I'm losing faith in the therapeutic process. Can you explain to us how to set measurable goals in, in marriage counseling and what time frame? is reasonable to expect progress. Also regarding therapist hopping, how do you know when to stick, stick it out in the therapy, give it some more time or continue hopping? Okay, a lot, a lot in that question, we could spend like the entire time on it, but because it's really important. Um, like I said, first of all, you know, I, I think a lot of marital therapists don't, don't do uh, a very good job. And I think they uh, sit there and they hear people, it becomes a he said, she said, they don't really know how to, how to move them in one direction. Um, they, uh, or they just, you know, associate more with one and they, you know, are choosing to be, you know, more, that person's more right and the other person doesn't like that. So it, it is very hard to know where you're going. I think if people feel they are going nowhere after a few months of therapy, they should switch therapists. Because not to say that if you go to a good marital therapist in a few months, you'll be healed. It just means that you should start to see incremental changes and you should start to see a plan. Okay. So when I'm helping somebody, I'm trying to understand what are you doing wrong? Can I get you to, you know, admit what your wrong is or what you can get better at? Can I get you to understand why you are that way and what you're going to be looking to do differently? Your therapist should be talking to you both about what are we going to be doing differently each time? And if somebody's not doing that, it's the marriage therapist's job to call that person out in a loving way, of course, in a caring way, and, and help that person understand what they need to do differently. So when I do marital therapy, for example, I will sometimes, I will always meet each person individually as well, not necessarily, you know, as their own, as my own therapist for months at a time. Um, but I, I want to be able to talk to them straight and say, hey, listen, you know, I mean, there's certain things you got to work on. And I might not want to say that in front of the other therapist because in front of the other, the other spouse, uh, because that might upset the balance as far as the spouses and how they feel about their therapist. But there has to be some sense of, of where we're going and there's practical differences going on. And that means whether it's a time spent, whether it's how we're talking, whether we're learning skills of listening, whether I'm hanging out, you know, less with, with, the, with the friends, whether I'm dealing with, you know, parents or in-laws and how we're dealing with that and what, what boundaries we're drawing, how we're talking to the children, how we're parenting, how we're resolving those issues, you know, how is that happening? When is it happening? There's got to be a lot of practicality. And unfortunately, marriage therapists are just overwhelmed. There's two people and, and they're coming at them and, and they just uh, have, they, they, they often fail in taking control of the situation and, and trying to help them both be heard and help them resolve how they want to resolve it. 
Because the other therapist who can be very pushy will resolve it the way he or she thinks it should be resolved. But that also, unfortunately, is not a, a very good workable situation. You, you want both people to be happy sitting there? They should both feel good with the therapist? Is that even possible? Whatever you yeah. say, she'll be triggered, he'll be triggered. and. Yeah, but a good therapist is a very good listener. So I, I can talk to two people and I can real and, and I will make you feel not because I'm putting you on, but I really, really care about each of your position. I really do. I really do. I really understand it. I really can understand it. Now I can also explain to you why I think that you could do better, why I think you could do something differently, and why I might think that the that that you're overreacting, and I'll and I have to prove to you why I feel that way. I can't just say it. I have to show you why. I have to show you how you could have reacted, or why another person would have reacted differently. That's my that's that's my job. And they that's have to accept it, and then then they're going to the next therapist. No, they 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 can they 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 accept it, or they can they can argue with me and debate with me about it and and we can and we can talk about it there is there is a a, a model of course in therapy where you know you don't you're not coming after a person in such a way that they feel so ganged up on that they will go to another therapist very often a spouse will say well you know why didn't you tell the person like it is or this and that well hold on Obviously, you know, the person has to feel comfortable. And if you're just going to, you know, be very, very uh, argumentative with the person, then, then, they, might, then they might move on. Um, but it's important for therapists not to put up with people's, you know, chazerai also. It really is. And sometimes I feel if the person moves on, at least they know that there was somebody in, there's somebody in their world that, that, that called them out on something and said that they could do better. Again, I might meet them alone to talk to them about that. I might not do that in front of their spouse because I can talk to them in a more earnest way and not worry that they have to think, oh, my spouse is hearing this. Oh my gosh, you know, that's, that, that's it. You know, now, now my spouse is just gonna, you know, come in for the kill or whatever the case might be. I'm trying to get people, I think, I think the marriage therapist has to make people feel from the beginning that we, I very much want you to be on the same team. We've got to figure this out. This is not like, yeah, it'd be nice, it'll be good, it'd be good for the kids. We have got to figure out that how to make this work. And unless, unless one of you is like so off the map and they can't be, be brought back to reality, uh, you know, with certain degree of, of personality disorders, you know, we should be able to do that. Also, it's a matter of time. Let me tell you something, coach. May I call you coach? <laughs> Let me tell you something, coach. The idea that we have a we have a, a, a marriage that's been suffering. By the way, when when do people come to marriage counseling? They've been suffering a long time. There's a lot of bad history. So you're going to come to you're going to come to to somebody for 50 minutes to an hour a week. You got to be kidding me! Kidding me! Kidding me! <laughs> okay. So like when I, I mean, I, I have a full practice. I rarely take people on. I mean, I, I got to give people time. First of all, there's, there's people travel from all over the world and they come to me and I see them for two days or three days at a time. That's, that's my beginning. That's my beginning, you know? And then we go on from there. But even if I see people, I got to see, you got to see people more than a, a, an hour a week. Because, you know, you're just not going to get that much going. So I think that's another thing that people, therapists, have to be able to direct people. And I have said to many people, unfortunately, listen, if they can't do it more or I can't do it more, I'm not going to do it. The idea that I'm going to see you a little bit, I'll see you an hour here and in two weeks and whatever. But listen, a little therapy is better than nothing. 
when it comes to marital therapy, incorrect. Do it right or don't do it. Because if you don't do it right, then the couple says, ah, we even tried therapy and that didn't work. So now what? Can be the kiss of death. I know some give uh, double double sessions, but most don't. So what should people do? <laughs> I mean, they should try to find people who can give them more time, give them double sessions, give them sessions twice a week, give them sessions, you know, on the Mondays and Thursdays, because a lot happens between Monday and Thursday and a lot happens between Thursday and Monday. You know what I'm saying? There's, you, 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 you really do try to find people who are more effective, you know, I can't tell you, you know, don't go to therapy unless, you know, unless you, if you don't, I, I don't have a list of the most effective therapists, but obviously listen, you know, the, the other problem with getting good therapy is that most people don't want to talk about it. So it's hard to say, well, my friends all talk about this great therapist, you know, who saved their marriage, you know, they don't necessarily want to talk about it. Um, but if you are a friend who has been through good therapy, you know, I mean, try to tell a friend who, who might be of help so that they can be able to get that. Um, and then also listen, try to, you know, try to do lots of things, go to therapy, but get other things, get books, get programs, whether mine Oh, or, you know, creating your best marriage. It's a, it's a long, it's a, you know, 10 session video program. There's other ones like that, you know, like, like just try to put a lot of, of, of yourselves into, into the idea of rebuilding this relationship. But if you have a real, if you really hit a, a rock bottom space, you need somebody who's going to give you some real time to be able to get through the, the negative, painful history that's going on. Gary, can we, can, we, can, we, can we squeeze you in with another few more? Are we good? Yeah, 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 I'm good. I'm not even looking at the time. What, what do we know? What do I know? It's a oh, it's early. I told you, I told you when you get into it, it's, it's an all-nighter. You don't. I know, I me. know. I just... <laughs> so many people here want chizik. Okay, somebody just texted this question. I, and again, we got this in a lot of different versions. Let's Again, it's always globalizing yeah. it. When you know it's just time to say the couple just is not compatible. In this case, it's a 17-year marriage, on and off therapy, much of it. Same, same therapist for the last seven years, last five of which the husband entered recovery and addiction and is committed to change. But after so many years of individual and couples therapy and real change and growth, the relationship just feels hard and mostly unhappy. What, what is left to try before divorce? Well, it, it, it's, look, I mean, let, let's go through the beginning of the code, that question. You know, when do we call it quits? I mean, first of all, I think marriage changes people. I think we should say that it has to change us either for the same or better. It's not always to change us for the better. I mean, you know, if my spouse is interested in modern art and I become interested in modern art in order to engage with her or him, I don't know if that makes me a better person. Uh, like, you know, learning, you know, learning more, more, learning more Torah or something, but surely it should not make me a worse person. So I think there are people who are in a relationship where they feel that they have become a worse person. They become a, a, a more spiteful, angry, miserly, you know, whatever it is, they become a, a, they don't like themselves and they don't like themselves in this relationship. I think that is something that either has to be fixed or we have to, we have to end it. Because one thing we, we don't have to give in our lives to our marriage is, uh, you know, to make ourselves into people that we don't ultimately like. That the way we behave or we're being asked to behave is, is something that we don't like. And, of course, we have to check that out with somebody. We have to check that out with a therapist, a rub, a friend. You know, I mean, is that I don't like it just because I am particularly sensitive to that or 
the, the island really understands that that's not that's not something anybody wants to be or wants to engage in. So I think that that's something that doesn't mean you have to leave. That means you must get help. You must you know you must critique this. Remember, I'm not a big into criticism. I, I'm I'm really believing that we we get married. We're not looking. Uh, to get married so that people criticize us. We're looking to be accepted. So I think we should be very careful to consider what we're criticizing people over and make sure it's things that we really, really cannot manage. Um, you know, it's an interesting question because this person's been with a therapist for all these years. The person beat his or her addiction. I don't remember who it was uh, in, this, in this example. Um, so, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that this couple um, would not be able to find a sense of pleasantness because it sounds like they work so hard to become, you know, better people. So the thing I would, I would, I would uh, you know, try at that point is to see if they have actually focused on pleasantness. You would be surprised, Usher and Coach Menachem, uh, you know, you'd be surprised how many people they think working on a marriage means just gritting it out and just, you know, just gritting their teeth and, and, and getting through the tough times. And, OK, we got, you know, we got through the struggle. You know, we got through the kids. We got through this. We got through that. You know what I'm saying? And they forget that, like, to, to have pleasantness in a relationship, it requires time and a skill itself. It does. It requires going out and having fun, staying in and having pleasant times meaningful times so you know i don't know about this couple if date night is enough but you no know, for all i know they should be you know starting a, a program or joining a program where they feed the homeless uh they should be doing something meaningful together they should do something that they really find meaning in and i think that is is a very important thing for all couples but surely as a firm couple i think that's something that we should be looking at and be creative in that area Let's go to a live question. You smiled. I hope that was that meant you like. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for not complimenting you, Gary. Your answers are sharp. No, 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 no. It's okay. It's okay. They're excellent. I'm telling you, it's unbelievable. Hi, I have a question. What do you do if one one spouse is in therapy and the other spouse is in denial that anything is going on? How do you get that person to come to the table? We tried, you know, giving her incentives. We tried uh, giving her monetary incentives. We tried rabbis getting involved. We tried other therapists. We tried different therapists. How do you get somebody to actually acknowledge that there is a problem? So you have stepped into probably one of the most complicated situations, which is if, if somebody refuses help, again, therapy, rub, you know, whatever the case might be. Again, at that point, um, that, that's probably one of the saddest points because it either means that the person has to, the person who's in therapy, obviously, they have to try everything they can to try to motivate that person, not just to get help, but to motivate them to be, you know, to be better in the, in the marriage. Remember, you know, therapy is not always necessary for both people. Sometimes one person, not, not that they're the bad person or the most wrong in the situation, but I, myself, I can affect the happiness and the pleasantness and the love and the, and the connection and the meaning in a relationship on my own. Because the more I change, the more the other person you know, needs to change or else we begin to become more distant and disconnected. So that is a problem 
when a person is going to therapy or is involved in anything outside the relationship that's meaningful and the other person does not want to participate, um, then that means that person, one person is going to grow without the other person. And that becomes, you know, a dangerous struggle. The only th other thing you didn't mention this, although maybe now that I'll say it, you'll say, oh, we tried that also, um, is family members. Sometimes there are siblings, friends. I mean, you know, beyond Rabbanim, uh, sometimes there are people, the old, you know, intervention, right? There is sometimes people who are closest to you uh, that you can try to convince because a lot of times those people who won't get help, they don't want to get divorced either. And, you know, we talk about divorce. Yeah, you know, people have been, you know, the divorce word has been bandied about for years, but sometimes they don't realize that, no, this is really going to happen. And, you know, if it's really going to happen, you know, you have a chance to save yourself and save, you know, your, your marriage and potentially your family if you have children uh, and such before. So um, that would be my that would be my best idea is to is to go leave no stone unturned as far as trying to get this person into some sort of help. Here's a question somebody complaining about his wife. My wife has a hard time setting limits with our kids and allows them to get away with anything, including sleeping in instead of going to school on time. These are older kids. And picks them up when they call them, even though it's for no reason, and rescues them from getting into trouble. Let's them watch movies, television shows, even though it's not how we agree to raise our kids. It seems she has no strength or spine to take charge and be a mom and is more afraid of losing their affection than doing the right thing and being their guides and holding appropriate expectations and boundaries. What is the best way to navigate this? And is there any hope? Yeah, sure, there's plenty of hope. But the best way to navigate it, of course, it, it's a funny thing. Every conversation, every, every question I always get from the person always says, the other person's the mistake, the other person's you know crazy, whatever. I always say to them, listen, you know, what can you do to effectuate change? Because that's really all we can do in life, right? We have to remember that even in a couplehood, right? I am empowered to take care of me. I really can't control my spouse, but I can make changes. And very often in spouse relationships, we tend to think, you know, something that's not my problem. You know, I, I, it's not my, not my job, not my, not my, you know, not, not what I'm supposed to be doing. And, and that's where the, the team concept breaks down. You know, if somebody's on a, on a team, uh, whether it's the business team or sporting sport team is either easier one, you know, if the other person is injured and they're not doing well, uh, you know, if you say, well, too bad, that's their job. No, I got to pick up the slack. So sometimes we do have to pick up the slack and we have to, by nature of modeling and by nature of conversation, and by nature of teaching I me, mean, this is that what you have to do with the person, this kind of person. Again, she probably in this situation probably has issues from her childhood and the way she was parented and uh, which is leading to this sense of lack of complete discipline. The person is correct, that discipline is very important and we teach our children how to manage life. We teach our children how to be self-disciplined through discipline. Unfortunately, it's another whole, whole maybe another whole uh, you know, sheer we could say, um, is that people tend to discipline uh, when they're so upset and so angry that they bark at their kids instead of realizing that we are, we are the, we, we are, we are the mechanach of our children in that way. And it's one of the most important pieces is to teach children how to be able to manage challenges, how to overcome friction and conflict in our own lives. So definitely crucial, um, but taking a loving space and taking a loving conversation with her and sitting down with her, if she can get her into help with, not necessarily a therapist, but maybe a rav, maybe a parenting class, go with her 
talk to her. How can we do this together? How would we like, do you think it's okay? Do you think this is good for your children? You know, most people would say, I don't think it's good, but you know, it's not that bad. Well, you know, I mean, we can talk it out and really be more of a support and more of a leader as far as that. Now, if that person was here today, say, come on. I mean, is that what I have to do? I shouldn't have to do that. Yeah, you should have to do a lot of things. You know, I, you know, I'm not saying that, but if the person is, is really, they're suffering is my point. They're not taking advantage of you because you want this and she wants that. They're suffering, they're, they're, in, they're unable, they're incapable. So you wanna approach them as somebody who is suffering and needs your loving help and guidance to, to strengthen her in your relationship. Wow, beautiful, Gary. Um, how many more can we do? One more, two more? Tell, tell sure, me sure. Okay, no, no, no. I, think should, sure. I think you should cover this because we spoke about it a little bit and we got a few different versions of this. Um, my husband and I have a functioning but dry marriage. I do not confide in my husband and he doesn't confide in me. To make things worse, over time it's become clear we really don't have the same interest. It is just that men and women are different or did we marry the wrong, or did we marry wrong? And couples are, couples are supposed to talk with each other and consider each other friends. And yes, we did the date night thing. There's nothing to talk about. Yes. So what's happening here uh, is they're not creating any passions. They haven't put any time into creating something within the context of the relationship. What we usually do in life is react. We react to what life shoves in front of us from schooling, from even from Torah perspective, right? What the, what, you know, it just, it comes at us and we just react to it. Instead of sitting down and saying, okay, I want to have my husband and I, we are, we have a dry marriage. We have a dry marriage because all these years we haven't built something around ourselves. We haven't built something around our passions. Now that doesn't mean that, you know, this person is going to love everything that other person does or vice versa, but we have to try to find things. And it's a matter of trial and error to find those things that we can do together and get out there and start doing them, whether within the home or outside the home, of course, but, you know, developing something together. And I think that, that two people have to be, you know, committed and they have to say, listen, you know, we're together, it's okay, but we don't have the passion. You know, so often, it, you know, people think they're doing a great job when their spouse wants to run off and, and, and take up a passion. They think it's great, I, 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 I let her go do her thing. I let him go do his thing, whatever. It's a terrible idea. Why do we want people, our spouses, to have all this passion and have all this discussion and interest with themselves, with other people outside of us? We want to join in that passion. So I think that's why marriage is supposed to take us um, where, where we didn't expect, you know? Same thing with your children, you know? I had a kid, uh, my Bukhar, who became very involved in jujitsu. Believe you me, I was never planning on jujitsu. I didn't know from it. I didn't know anything about it. But I became an expert in, in what jujitsu was and what, why? Because it's my kid. But if it was my spouse, a lot of people would say, nah, it's not, not my job. You know what I mean? Not my job. No, no. We, wanna, we want to engage and we want to embrace what our spouse is interested in. We want that in return as well. Um, but a lot of times people don't even get started there because they just think I shouldn't have to, I shouldn't have to work so hard. I, so many people will say, if it's, if I have to work this hard, is it a good marriage? I mean, you know, it will be a good marriage if you work that hard, you know, typically under most circumstances. What's the story with uh, the couple here that was, we are from, we're from couple, we both um, come from, from homes. 
However, after the first year or two in marriage, I've noticed my husband slipping in Yiddishkeit. That's small thing. She's not sure if it's small or big thing, but she noticed it and soon started changing his clothing to more modern. And I'm afraid what's going to come next, especially since we have six children together, various ages, and he gives mixed messages. What is the most effective way to handle this without damaging our relationship in the progress? So um, this is a, an age old issue. I, I, it's, it's, it's funny that this, she's asking this. I remember there was a, there's a, a relic from the Geniza <laughs> that talks about the, the woman sending it something to her rub saying that my husband's going up to the mountains, you know, to be with people who aren't, who aren't uh, religious, you know, so uh, so it's, it's, it's been around a long time. Uh, look, you know, changes in from kite, uh, are things that we should take very seriously. Um, but they should be things that should be should be engaged in again with love. A lot of people like this person, you know, again, it's not a matter of right and wrong. It's a matter that she might become very nervous. What does this mean? Where could this go? And she might be right, but by ignoring it and not talking about it with her spouse without talking about it with a rub and then talking about it with a rub by the way i think we think i mean too many of us think of rabbanim as as uh, as you know a post sake as opposed to just trying to help us think this through trying to help us understand trying to help you know trying to help this 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 husband understand what his actions are maybe help her understand where it's going where it's not going you know we're so afraid that very often fear causes us to not talk and fear causes us to create conflict. So I think the idea for her should be to find a calmer way to sit with him, talk to him about her concerns and ask him if they can talk to their Rav together for her. Not to say, I wanna to go to the Rav because I'm, he's gonna make sure you go to Minion and he's gonna make sure you put on you know, your black hat or whatever. No, let's go to rough so that I, I, I want to be a better spouse. I want you to be a better spouse to me. Let's talk about it. And let's talk in this marriage. What are the real important places of Frumkite that we want to keep and we want to grow and we want to develop? And what are the ones that, uh, that you know, that, that we are less concerned about in this particular marriage? We can't control our spouse. But of course, there comes a time in Frumkite where they can start living a lifestyle um, that becomes non-halachic or against halacha, whatever the case might be, which which could which is you know there's a there's a, a red line as they say right that we we not necessarily expected to uh, to step over for the sake of our spouse. So we want to make sure that we're developing together. Beautiful, Gary. Okay, let's okay. Go to, let's go to the last live question, then we'll go to closing, Gary. Okay. Okay. Last live sure. You got it. We're trying to get everything out of you. Go. You're on. Um, okay. Can you hear me? Yeah, we hear you. Yes. Okay. Yes, 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 yes. the S's. So, as a team, like, still at home and really breaking from the tension between my parents, like, it's pretty extreme. Um, so, how do I cope with the pressure? And I want my habits and relationship to be healthy despite this. So, yeah. So, are you presently living? within the within your, your parents home is that what yours or your yeah. no, you are okay so uh, i i didn't hear it so quickly so clearly but you were saying that your your parents have a very unhealthy relationship in your opinion is that what you said yeah i should that would oh 
Yeah, she basically, I mean, we got this question a few different versions, but what she's saying, and, you know, this globalized, if people, you know, she's living in a home where the parents obviously don't have a very good relationship and that's affecting her now, but also as, you know, people that come from such situations, a lot of people can resonate with that. They're even scared to get into marriage because, the, you know, the divorce rate is so scary and marriage is so hard. And the bottom line is, you know, children from divorce have a much higher rate of getting divorced, whether true or not, but that's, that's the way it seems like, like, I got like many questions like that. Sure, sure. Again, I, I think one of the uh, harder things, but the one of the most um, fulfilling things is trying to understand how we were raised and how it is affecting us. Now, you're living with your parents, and if they're in the midst of a bad marriage, you can feel now, even as a, a young adult or as adult as, as you sound, um, that, you know, it, it's affecting you even now. And imagine how affected you when you're two, five, and ten, uh, and and you don't even realize. Of course, you know how it affected you, but you don't even realize how how that can create in you, um, you know, certain standards of living that you don't even realize that you're going to bring to your relationship. So, you know, I, I think you know you deserve for yourself to talk to somebody about it. Again, whether it's a therapist, whether it's a Rebitson, whether it's a friend, you know, somebody that you can, you, you just need to talk about um, the fact, you know, what's going on inside your house. Uh, you can ask, you know, halacha as far as it being Lashon Hara. Uh, it's, uh, you know, I mean, it, it usually in the context of telling a therapist or telling somebody therapeutically, even if it's, even if it's a friend, if it's, it's somebody who's trying to help you, it's not an issue for you. And I think you really do need to talk about it. And you need to vent about it and you need to learn, you know, how, what I, what I do and what I don't want to do about it. You might want to, you know, move out of that situation, right? It is very hard to hear parents in conflict. We love both our parents uh, on some level. Some people love both their parents dearly. Uh, some people, you know, have different conflict with them, but to hear them engage in, in, uh, in conflict is very, it's an overwhelming space. And I think whatever you can do to try to release yourself from that uh, and leave a space like that is something that I think you should, you know, talk to whoever your advisors or mentors are uh, to really take a practical step to try to find a, a space that is away from that whatever, that, whatever that means. Okay? Thank you. Okay. Okay, let's go to closing now. Um, Amazing share tonight. That was really powerful. Thank you. Uh, again, I want to first thank Rabbi, Rabbi, Rabbi Mordechai, Gary Newman for coming on tonight, giving so much chizik. I mean, obviously this topic is, you know, powerful and Baruch Hashem, you know, I, it was tremendous amount of people came here tonight and we really appreciate it, Gary. Again, anybody who's watching for the first time every Sunday night, 10 p.m., we have, you know, the Zoom share on, on, this, uh, on this Zoom ID. And next Sunday, the show is going to be Dr. Lou Abrams talking about the world of addiction, which like I said at the beginning, we all have some type of form of addiction, and he's the king of the kings. So, um, Baruch Hashem, he agreed to come on. Please come, be part of it. Everything tonight's recorded. It'll be Hashem on MenachemBernfeld.com, his website. If anybody, Gary, a few people are texting me and call me, so let me just put you on the spot. Um, people want to know how to get in contact with you. People want to know about your programs. Please give us two minutes before we go to closing about you and how to be in sure. touch with you. So uh, the easiest way to get in touch with me is to go to newmanmethod.com, like you mentioned. It's N-E-U, think Neumann, uh, N-E-U-M-A-N, method.com. And, um, and you could, there's a way to get in touch with me, find out about our programs. Uh, you know, one of them that would work here would be Creating Your Best Marriage. It's a video program. It's my best shot at really helping people. It comes with a 
with a, a workbook of a couple hundred pages. So it's really for people who really want to sit down and work with their spouse or on their own to really understand themselves and really make things better. It's, you know, it's my, it's, it's uh, my best shot without seeing a therapist or seeing me in person, even if you're seeing a therapist or if you're seeing me under those, I still you know, often, it's, it's a really good help. Uh, and the other thing I think um, you can, uh, and you can also email me and, and get in touch with me there as well. Um, also, I have a podcast that you did mention with my daughter, Esther Halpern, Esther Newman Halpern. She's my, uh, she's uh, my daughter. She has a couple of my, she houses uh, my grandkids, thank God. So I'm very fond of her <laughs> and, uh, and she's a therapist and a wonderful marital therapist in her own right. Um, and we have a, a show called Shrinks on the Street, SOS, and, uh, and it uh, deals with all things uh, family, marital, and psychological. So tune into that. You can go to the normal places where you would hear, where you would hear podcasts. Gary, one day we'll have you and your daughter back on together. How does that sound? Yeah, that would be a lot of fun. That would be, be awesome, great. yeah. Okay, let me yeah. just finish, and then we'll give it to you closing. Again, everything tonight's recorded. It'll be on MenachemBurple.com. If anybody has any questions or anything, please email coachmenachem at gmail.com. Obviously, Gary told you how to get in touch with him. Tonight's share, share is number 75. It's going to be on our phone lines tomorrow. We'll upload it. The number is 848-777-GROW, G-R-O-W. And again, I want to thank all our advertising sponsors always promoting us every week, The Liquid Scoop, Robin Yannis from Fazak, Mikhaila Kaufman and Shmuel from JCN. Thank you for always promoting us. Let's go to Coach Menachem for a few closing words, followed by Rabbi Gary. Thank you very much, Gary. I really appreciate to bring up um, these topics, which uh, many people will benefit um, I'm getting the, in the chat, many people, I, I, I'm sure there are many out there who are thinking, yes, very, very nice question and answer, but they're in marriage 30, 35 years, and they don't know where to go. And uh, I guess, you know, sometimes they feel there's nowhere to go. And um, all I can do is give them a bracha, Shem should guide them, um, know what should be the next step. But like you started in the beginning, um, those important pieces for everybody and anybody, if you can start with the positivity and the listening skills, which listening skills itself can be a whole course and it takes time mm -hmm. just to be able to listen to somebody else while inside of you is screaming that you don't like what you're hearing is not so easy. And then the most important thing is time, which I think today is very expensive. Most people don't have the time. And then they're, they're busy with everything, trig all the triggers in life, um, reacting. But the most important things is there's no time for it. So yes, there is what to do and it's not easy. But um, with um, some established, a lot of Seattle Deshmaya, Hashem should help all of us, wherever we are, to be able to grow in whatever situation we're in. And thank you again for coming on. Gary, one thing before you go, again, anybody who wasn't in the beginning of this year, this is a book that just came out written by Zama Ghost. It was on the beginning. When you watch the replay, you can watch it again. It's an amazing book. It's talking about people that go through very hard times in marriage and through the divorce process. And there's a lot of knowledge in there. Gary, Gary read it, gave uh, his Eskama a little bit on the book. And um, we're going to email the information where to buy it. You can buy it on Amazon, all those platforms. Benachem will send it out. And also some uh, free audible coupons. You could get it, download it on Kindle for free. Gary, I have one question, then you're closing. You ready? Yes. Question is as follows. What do you think of a shear on Sunday night where people could be sleeping or watching Netflix and come in the thousands to listen for two hours to be mechazic themselves? I think it's, it, it's, the, it's the best of who we are. The best of who we are is from Yin, is that we, we really, really believe in growth. And we're only here whatever time in this particular functionality that we are before we go 
you know, to the next, uh, to the next world and then whatever the future that happens there, here's our chance. And I, I think it's beautiful. And I think it's, I, I think we should pat ourselves on the back because it, the, the world focuses on too much on the end result. And as we know, from Yin, you know, our intention, our kavana to, to be better people, to grow, it, it's, it's the best thing. You know, what, what is the difference, Usher, between us and the animal world is that we can change. Animals are instinctual. They can't change. That's it. The whole difference, the whole neshama, the whole difference in our neshama is that we can actually change. And change, you know, Rabbi Stroll Salanter, as many others, I mean, the idea of changing one me, that it's, it's takes so much effort. And that speaks to what, you know, Menachem, what you were saying before was that, you know, instead of giving up hope, instead of saying it's been so many years, whatever, you know, it's not about one thing. That's, that's what I think people get caught up with. The road seems so long, they can't imagine. But you know something? If you start listening and you start going on a date and you start appreciating your spouse, then that gets you to the next level where your spouse might be more flexible to say, okay, now I'll go see somebody or now I'll go do this, you know? So it's not like, give me the one answer that's going to solve all of this mess from all these years. It's not true. Life is never like that. Nothing is built in, in that kind of way by a snap of the fingers. And that's what we have to do. And I love what you said, Benachem. Listen, we forget sometimes that davening words changes life. It changes. Hashem changes changes the creation um, through our davening. I, I think it's funny. I think that abracadabra um, comes from, you know, the Hebrew words, you know, kedibra, right? That, you know, create with like my words. I think abracadabra comes from that. And that's the point that we really do change with our words. So our words to Hashem, but equally, well, I don't know, equally, but similarly, um, our words to our spouse. When we say to our spouse that I care about you and I love you, and these are the things I appreciate about you, it really changes how we feel about each other. And it can take so much tension away and it can add so much love into the room. So I think that that's really, you know, upon ending, a couple messages I want to get across is that, first of all, overall, you have to remember that who knows why we are put here in this world. Everyone wants to believe that, you know, I'm here, I'm here for my children, I'm here to help the community, I'm here to do mitzvahs, I mean, you know, of course. But who's to say that a large part, if not major, all, I don't know, who says it's not to care for the neshama of your spouse? Now, that doesn't mean that you should get wrapped up that if your spouse uh, in, a, in a dramatic sense is overwhelming that you should just live your life giving and, and not to anybody else. But the fact is that maybe the reason I was put here on earth was not for everybody else primarily. Maybe it was primarily to take care of my spouse. You know, that could be to build something with my spouse. We forget that and we want to give our spouse relationship short shrift and put so much energy, so much energy into everything else. And I, 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 I always think about Avram Avinu walking out of the Kifsanesh and, you know, he walks out. I mean, you know, of course, Avram wasn't like this, but if we walked out of, uh, of the, right, and we weren't burned up, we would think, pardon the pun, that we are pretty hot stuff. And we would say, oh, my God, I am incredible. Me and Hashem, we are so. And then the Chacham tells the reason he walked out was because he didn't have Yitzchak yet. He didn't, Hashem didn't let him out because he was the biggest Sadiq in the world. The Chacham seemed to indicate that the reason was because he didn't have, Hashem needed him to, to have Yitzchak. Had he had Yitzchak, it might not have worked. 
So who knows what Hashem's giving us this for and giving us that for and what he, we're here for. We might be here just for no other reason other than primarily to care for our spouse, to care for our children, to care for our family. Clearly, listen, Warren Goldstein, the chief rabbi of South Africa, is a dear friend of mine. And I think he's a wonderful man. Have you had him on your show? Not yet. Oh. Uh, he's a terrific, terrific individual. So he and I were talking and I always, we always, we pick each other's brains. And one thing he, he had said to me that I thought was so, was so uh, funny. He said, you know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, obviously Hashem is so consumed and concerned with family relations, marriage and parenting, because if you read Bracious and you took out all the, 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 the Torah God pieces, you'd think you're, you're reading Lahabdil, a Jane Austen novel. It, I mean, it's, it's, it's Hashem is talking about the families and the, the, the Avram and Sarah, how they're talking in this one. And I mean, the marriages and the brothers. And the, I mean, it's like, obviously Hashem cares so much, so much of who we are has to do with our families. So that's my first primary message upon ending is that before you think about, oh, I, what really makes me feel good is what I'm giving outside of my family. Oh, that's when I really feel good. I'll never forget, we have time, right? I mean, now it's just us, right? What's the difference? All night, just, just, us, just us talking. Everybody else, I'll never forget, I go to, I went to speak to this uh, women's group, a couple hundred women, very powerful. I remember they raised $3 million. This is like 15 years ago. So my wife and I go, and I'm the, I'm the main speaker, and we sit around, we sit around the table, and uh, we're, we're at the table with the head women. So they're very powerful women. So they say, okay, we're gonna go around the room. We're gonna tell you who we are. And the first was I'm CEO of the, the, the state. You know, I'm the next one, I'm CEO of the, of the country. I'm CEO of the world. I mean, they're very, very powerful business women. It comes to my wife, unbeknownst to me, my wife says, well, I, I run a home for unwanted children. I take care of their educational needs and I bathe them and I cook them, you know, three meals a day. And they were all looking at and say, oh my God, that's amazing. And she said, yeah, they're my kids. Nobody else wanted them, you know? So, so like, I couldn't believe it, but she made such a brilliant point. When she was talking about being a parent to somebody else's kids, oh, she was at Sardang's. Oh, to her own kids? Uh, we get it. All right, you're a homemaker. We get it. You know what I'm saying? We're working so hard. It's so important to be a good spouse, to be a good parent, to be a good family person. So we don't want to forget that, you know, what have you done for me lately? Oh, everybody, everybody's got five kids. Everybody's got 10 kids. Everybody's got, everybody's got this. Everybody's got that. So what are you doing different? What do you mean when you do different? What do you think? Hashem puts us here. It takes a lot to do this. This is what I should be appreciated for. This is what we should be working on together and making sure that we're developing a wonderful, you know, team meaningful together and, and a wonderful life together. Upon ending, I'm just going to say a simple thing. You know, we know each other very well as spouses and very often spouses know what will put a smile on their spouse's face. Get up every morning and think to yourself, you know, we'll put a smile on my spouse's face this morning and just do it. 
do it. Don't ask for anything. Just do it. And you do it every day. And you do it a couple times a day. And you do it more. And you start thinking about each other. And you start coming to each other more. You'd be surprised with all your differences how it can really change circumstances. And even, again, you don't have to have a horrible marriage. If you have a, an average, a good marriage, it can. it's always going to get better by making sure that you, you spend the focus. A marriage-centered lifestyle doesn't mean that I care more about my spouse than marriage than my children or my doesn't mean I care more about it. It means that there's there's a, a sense that we always are working on it together and we're coming together. That can be minutes a day, like 30 minutes a day. It doesn't have to be hours a day like you spend on your business or you might spend on your kids. But it's definitely a sense that there's got to be consistency on a regular basis that we're coming to each other and we, we're showing each other how much we want to love and we want to give and we want to make each other smile. All right, Usher. Gary. Let's do it. Let's get so out powerful. there and do it and get everybody else to do it. I'm in. I'm all in. All in. All Mary, right. Thank you so much for coming That's on. Again next week. We'll this see everybody uh, October 17th um, with Dr. A uh, Lou Abrams. And thank you again, Gary. Good night. Take care. Be well. Hi, it's Coach Menachem here. If you enjoyed, please consider supporting us with a small monthly, monthly donation to help sustain the future episodes. And it will be greatly appreciated. Thank you in advance.